Indeed, joyfully transformed. That's a great topic for today, and I'm pleased to be able to, excited to be able to talk and preach about it. Uh, but, you know, I, I really just pause for a moment. You know, it's a privilege to stand up and preach and be in front of you and <clears throat> share God's Word. And uh, you're not only an audience, but you're an audience made up of like really special people, you know. So I, I just uh, thank you for who you are and, and uh, your faithfulness and uh, et cetera, et cetera. I, I mean, it's, it, it is part of the joyfulness of doing what I do as a pastor. Uh, and seeing people's lives transformed uh, is an unbelievable privilege. Now, I, I want to ask you a question. Uh, if you look at your own life, how has God transformed you? Now, maybe you were like me. I mean, I accepted Christ in my late 20s. And uh, in that first year when I was a believer, God just seemed to answer all my prayers and transform me. And uh, I mean, there was just a lot of incredible God moments in my life. And uh, I've shared them many, many times. But in your life, have you experienced God transforming you, changing your desires, transforming you from within? Uh, maybe you've seen a family member or a coworker changed or just a friend. And they've just been, they become somebody different as a result of following Jesus. And hopefully somebody great, uh, you know, not somebody like super boring. Uh, but, but I'll tell you that, I mean, for some of the crowd that I was running around with, uh, when I became a believer, I became super boring to them. And they didn't like really want me anymore at their drunken parties. I just wasn't fun anymore. Uh, but you know what? God transforms us and he changes our friends. I mean, people that you used to just love hanging around with now, for me, just started feeling like, eh, that's just not fun. I mean, I, what's the big deal going to a party and getting drunk as a skunk? I mean, it's like, okay, I'm, you know, like, you know, God transforms us. And you notice it in the things that you become interested in. I mean, all of a sudden, you're interested in different things. You watch different things. You listen to different things. Uh, things of God become, like, exciting. And, and you want to hear stories about people that have been transformed by God. Uh, but the personalness of God is that He transforms us, that He changes us. It's normal. It, it, and so, you know, as you reflect on your own life, uh, uh, you'll probably have, uh, like, Warm feelings towards God. You'll be grateful. You'll say, I am grateful that God changed me from this to that. Uh, and, you know, I, each one of us is different. God works with each one of us differently. Uh, and God changes each one of us differently. But there is a sense when God changes us that we are grateful that God has transformed us. And so today I want to uh, jump into a, a, a really powerful scripture section in, in Colossians chapter 3. And if you've got a, a phone, you want to follow, me, follow along with me, I'm in uh, the New Living Translations. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 15 is what I want to read. It's a, a chunky piece, but it's a powerful piece. And uh, I relate, you know, we're reading scripture, which is, you know, so old. 
I mean, you know, 2,000 years old, but the Spirit of God is alive and working the same then as it is now. And it's just an amazing thing that we'll read these words, and for many, it's transformative. Or let me just say, I want to pray right now that it becomes transformative. So let me just do that. Jesus, I just know that you use your Holy Scripture, that you breathe on it by the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to transform us, to change us. You desire that we would become more and more like you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray that your power would be here as I preach today. Put power on your word. Put power on my ability to preach. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would convict and you would change and you would direct and you would leave and you would fill people with your love. Right now, today, in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to read this section and then come back and, and sort of unpack it a little bit. But I want to just read it through. Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul. And again, you know, the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest or the greatest uh, theologian ever. Uh, and God used this man's brilliant intellect. But of course, what made Paul the greatest theologian of all time wasn't just Paul's great intellect. It was the fact that the Holy Spirit transformed his life and became what he said, Holy Scripture. I mean, Paul was not really such a nice guy. Uh, God transformed him and changed him. And as we read this scripture, which gives us hope and it's filled with joy, we need to remember that he's sitting in prison. You know, so his circumstances might not have been that rosy, but his disposition was one of great joy and of thanksgiving. And we all need that. It's not circumstance dependent. It's Holy Spirit dependent. When the God of the universe is moving in your life, man, he can change any circumstance and give any person hope in any situation. So let me just read what, what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. It says, since you have been raised to new life, with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things, when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And then the bottom of uh, jumping to verse 12, God chose you 
to be holy people he loves. You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, and you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're all called to live in peace and always be thankful. I mean, what a piece of scripture that is just so rich and loaded. And, you know, on the one hand, it can be like, oh, my gosh, this is heavy. On the other hand, it's like super light. And on the, on the one hand, you relate to your own life because you've seen some of these things being transformed in you. Uh, and some things you say, come on, God, like move along, transform me some more. I need your help. You know, I'm not there yet. And so God is working with us. Uh, and the issue is, are we willing and are we available uh, to listen to God? Now, I've got a bulletin insert. I, I you know, I typically like to write uh, or make notes. Not everybody's like that way, but uh, if you want to follow along on your, your bulletin insert, uh, I just encourage you uh, to do that. Uh, if anything, when I'm going on these rabbit trails, you say, well, he's going to get back here at some point, and, and maybe that's helpful. I, you know, I don't know. But I, I want to point out three uh, aspects of this transforming process. And the first part here that the Apostle Paul, the theologian Paul, is telling us, if we want to be joyfully transformed, the first thing he's telling us is take a long-term view. Get a long-term view. And by getting a long-term view, I'm talking about fixing your eyes on the things of heaven. Paul says here in verse 1, Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. I mean, that is one ridiculous transformation. I mean, unless you've experienced Christ in your heart, you cannot do that. I mean, it's like thinking about heaven. It's like, I'm thinking about my job tomorrow. You know, what's going to happen? But, but Jesus is encouraging us. He's saying there's so much more to this life. And you don't start by thinking about your job and your sex life and your kids and your vacation. You start by taking on Christ. It's like, Jesus, what have you done? What have you done in the universe? And what have you done personally in me? And as we contemplate and meditate and think about and come together on a Sunday morning and worship Jesus on a regular basis. It helps us to focus on the reality of heaven and how God is moving and moving in love among us and changing us and transforming us. And it's only as we fix our eyes on the author of power and the author of love do we get real hope. If it's up to us, man, it's, it's like a it's like game over. It's like we just don't have the ability, honestly, to change. I mean, you go to any bookstore, the self-help section is loaded. And I like self-help books. I mean, they're helpful. But I mean, there's a point where they can't do what Jesus can do. And when Jesus does something, honestly, sometimes it happens fast. I mean, God can transform you a habit of thinking uh, somewhere you're stuck. He can transform it like rapidly. You know, I, I was thinking as a, uh, 
You know, I grew up as a surfer in the surfing culture, and I mean, you would almost not be able to understand the English that we spoke because it was so ridiculous with all the the words that you used and whatever. No, it's just it, it was terrible. But also in that was just like cursing. Like every time you wanted, to, you know, say something, you cursed, and uh, it just became normal language. And then I became a believer, and uh, I was kind of aware of it, but not really, you know, and. Uh, I just be, I just curse and curse, and it was like you could control it, sort of. Like I could control it when I was around girls, but I could not control it when I was participating in competition actively in sport, like I did. You know, like when I was like under pressure and I'm losing and I'm playing a bad shot, then I mean just blah, 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 bad foul language. And I remember this one day. I can remember where it was. I can remember exactly what shot I just played on the court. And I just started unloading. I just like started cursing my normal self. And at that very place, in the most unlikely of circumstances, the conviction and the power of God just hit me. And I was like, oh my gosh, did that come out of my mouth? That's it's absolutely disgusting. That, that's terrible. And I felt dirty and I felt vile. And I was like apologetic. And I'm in the middle of the point. And I'm in the middle of a match. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me. And all of a sudden, the match didn't matter. It was just like, what is coming out of my mouth? And there was an instantaneous, like, you're done with that. It just like, it just got rid of it. And, you know, occasionally after that, if I'd curse, it would just be like so awful. It was just like so self-convicting. I was like, it's like, wow. It was just a recognition of the power of God moving and changing. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't give any credit to it because, I mean... It was God that did it. But God is awesome. God is wonderful when he, uh, when he does things in our lives. But when we focus on this world, when it's all about this world, you know, there's two uh, phrases which I love. They're very, very, very cliche. I understand. But the one is, you know, he who has the most toys wins. You've, you've seen this sticker. But I, I love that phrase because it so captures what most people's life is really all about, or what my life was all about. It's like, I want a bigger job, I want to make more money, I want a bigger house, I want a boat, I want better vacation, blah, 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 more, more, more. And it's like, okay, really, what are you saying? I want more and more and more and more toys, and if I get them all, you win. And I mean, then you realize, wait a bit. And then the other cliche, which goes just fine along with that, is the hearse pulling the U-Haul, you know? I mean, it's just like, yeah... You get all your toys, and you can't, like, take them with you. I mean, I know this is kind of old joke, and it's an old visual, but it's so effective. It's like, yeah, there's just a whole lot more to this. You know, experiencing God's love and God's power, but also the mystery of God, that life is going to take turns that you can't expect, or, and it's good when you're with the Lord. It's exciting. But let's uh, look a little bit here at uh, a little dark passage, uh, destructive behavior. And the second point I want to make, if the first point is take a long-term view, the second point is joyfully transformed from destructive behavior. The Apostle Paul says this, So put to death the sinful earthly lurkings within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. As I said uh, last week, if you were here, when you read through the Bible, I want you to take a note of something. 
God rarely takes offense to sexual sins. Uh, you, you look at any list where God is saying, listen, I, I want you to change your behavior, or there's things that you're doing which are offensive to God, invariably sexual issues are in that list. Now, being greedy is not always in every list, but sexual things are. And God is saying this is so simple. God invented sex. God designed sex. God says he wants you to have a lot of sex. He wants you to enjoy sex. I mean, like, you know, Corinthians tells you, like, even if you don't feel like it and your spouse feels like it, like, make it happen. You know, I mean, it's like God is into sex, but he's very much into having sex the right way or only the right way. And anything else is not, it's like really a problem. And so, uh, you know, in this section, uh, God is saying, well, the first part of this, if you want to be transformed, you don't check your brain out. In fact, you engage your brain. As a Christian, you are going to start thinking more than ever before. You know, the normal lifestyle for many people is, look, if I can have illicit sex or blah, 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 you know, it's just like if I can just do it, it'll be great and I'll figure out the consequences later. And God will say, no, 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 no. You think about this. It's not like deal with the complications and the situations later. No, no, deal with it now. Engage what rightful behavior and rightful thinking is and ask the Spirit of God to transform you. Because if you like addicted to sex, you won't change it on your own. I mean, you're like, you need like help. And Jesus is saying, I want to help. I'm in the business of changing, transforming, uh, uh, whatever it is. You can change it. You know, I want to read a story of, an, of, the, uh, of St. Augustine. St. Augustine was one of the most incredible uh, theologians between the Apostle Paul and Calvin, 1500, St. Augustine, 375 AD. Uh, I mean, he just had one of these incredible uh, transformations. And what happened then is what God is still doing today. Uh, it, it's, just, uh, it's just an awesome story, really. So he grows up in North Africa. His mom is a Christian and she's, you know, like one of these helicopter parents, like just all over him. And you need to be a Christian. You need to be a Christian. Your behavior, your behavior is despicable. You know, you need to change. And he's like, forget it, mom. And, and he's like a thief and whatever not. And, he, and sex is really great. And, you know, it really gets complicated when he has, you know, a kid with some other woman that's really like married. And, you know, his life is like getting out of control. And uh, finally, but I'll say at the same time, at the meantime, which is so often the case with all of us, right? We see people who are brilliant. This guy was brilliant. Academically, the guy was brilliant. He's like ex excelling in his career. I mean, he's just doing really, really awesome. He moves from North Africa to Italy to Milan, and uh, he's got like great opportunities. He's going to be a professor. He's going to be teaching rhetoric. I mean, his career is like doing awesome. And of course, his mom, like helicopter mom, she's right there with him and she moves in with them. And, uh, you know, so he, he's doing great on the one hand, but on the other hand, like it's not going so great. And uh, so uh, let me just read this to you. Uh, he goes to Rome in, in 383 to Milan, I mean to Milan, not to Rome. And then it says this, I'm reading from a story, I'll read it to you because I can't really tell it all that well. Then came a warm day in July 386 that changed Augustine's life forever. Augustine was in his villa in Milan with his mother and his best friend, Apollos. That day, Pontian, an African Christian, 
who was an officer of the imperial household, stopped for a visit. As they talked, Pontitican, I don't know how to pronounce his name, casually picked up a book lying on the table and was surprised to find that it was the epistle of Paul, just what we've been reading. That prompted Pontitian to relate how he had put his faith in Christ. Okay, this is still like what happens today, right? So the guy said, look, I had a profound experience with Christ. Christ transformed me. And he's looking at, you know, the Bible lying on this guy's table, or in this case, a manuscript of, of the Apostle Paul. And he starts sharing with his friend, this reprobate Augustine, like what God had done in his life. It was awesome. And that prompted him to relate how he put his faith in Christ. He also, he also told how two friends of his had decided to join a monastery and how their fiancés had also become Christians, dedicating themselves to virginity. Hearing the story of two young women committing themselves to chastity pierced Augustine to the core. He suddenly realized that he was depraved and, addict, and addicted to sex. How would he ever be able to extricate himself? After Pontitican left, Augustine ran out of the house, overcome by his sin. In despair, he flung himself to the ground underneath a fig tree. Here he babbled, how long, how long? Tomorrow and tomorrow, why not now? Why should there not be an end to my uncleanliness now? Suddenly, Augustine heard the voice of an unknown little girl singing a song with a simple word, simple words, take up and read. To Augustine, these words came as the voice of God himself. Jumping up, Augustine ran to the book containing Paul's epistles. Opening in its pages, his eyes fell on Romans chapter 13, verse 13 and 14. We should be decent and true in everything we do. This is Romans 13 and 14. So that everyone can approve of our behavior. Don't participate in wild parties and getting drunk or in adultery, in immoral living or fighting and jealousy. But let the Lord Jesus take control of you. And don't think of ways to indulge your evil desires. I mean, this passage is so similar to the passage you just read in Colossians. Augustine later wrote, instantly, instantly, as I reached the end of the sentence, it was as if the light of peace was poured into my heart. And all the shades of doubt faded away. He immediately went into the house and told his mother that her prayers had been answered. <laughs> now a changed man, Augustine went on to become the bishop of Hippo in North Africa and one of the greatest theologians ever. You know, I just God is in the transforming business. What we think is like super great and exciting, God says, no, he's got a better plan for us. He knows what's exciting in our lives. I don't want to just harp on sexual things. You look at this, it says, don't be greedy. Now, because it's right after the sexual issues, the greed could be relating to sexual issues or it could be totally unrelated. I mean, if you define greed, it's just desiring more and more of what you can't have. And, uh, you know, if, if you look at, say, the Ten Commandments, if you look at the Tenth Commandment, do not covet, you could change that and say, do not be greedy. And if you think about it, you know, greed 
or covetousness could be implicated in all the other of the six of the last ten commandments, like don't murder, you know, honor your father and mother, don't commit adultery, uh, do not steal. I mean, all of those are motivated, motivated by selfishness of saying, I want what's best for me and I'm going to get it, whether I do it by good means or bad means. So what I am saying is being greedy may seem like, you know, the most minor of the Ten Commandments, or in this context, you know, okay, I, I got issues in my life, but you know, greed is not like rising to the top of the one I need to deal with. What I am saying is, big or small, you can put those in your own mind. God is interested in everything. God wants you to become more like Him. Uh, let me just jump quickly into point three here in the handout. God wants us to be joyfully transformed by changing our focus. Our focus needs to be on Jesus. And our focus needs to be on our community. Basically, the big idea is this. Uh, there's a transformation that God will do in your life and in my life. And it goes like this. Before we're transformed, it's all about me. What I can get, what I want, and how I'm going to get it, and how you can help me get what I want. I mean, that's, that's the uh, unredeemed life. Now, when God transforms you, something weird happens because all of a sudden, now you're interested in like, okay, what's pleasing to Jesus? And another very, very strange and weird and wonderful thing happens is you start thinking about how can I serve? How can I help? How, will, how, how can I do something that will help somebody else? And all of a sudden, now your sexual issues which you thought were just private and about you only, you start realizing, wait, there's a community impact. It's not just me. I'm impacting the community. And, you know, it, it, think of it this way. If you were going to live in one of two towns, say town A was a town that was just focused on people just wanting more and more for themselves. Like they're just, you know, selfish and trying to climb the corporate ladder at any expense. And town B uh, and have sex with anybody you can, however you can. And town B was the one where people are saying, no, I want to be vigilant about how I can love others, how I can serve others, and I'm going to get my satisfaction and my joy in loving others. Which town would you rather live in? I mean, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. I mean, let me suggest you'd have a much better living experience in the town where people are just like loving and serving and giving and transformed by the love and joy of Christ. And Jesus is saying, Change your clothing. That's the, the imagery he gets. Take off your dirty, stinky, filthy clothing and put on brand new, nice pressed clothing and represent Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's the image he's giving us. He wants to clean us up, not just on the outside, but starting on the inside. And, you know, one of the things as people that preach like I do, it's easy to stand here and try and motivate people to change because make you feel guilty. Or say, the Bible says this, now you shouldn't do it. There's no possible way that's going to change you. My job is not to make you feel guilty. My job is to influence you as much as I can by the power of the Holy Spirit to influence you. But the only change that's going to take place in your heart is if you will cooperate with the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit is going to do or wants to do in your heart. When you cooperate with the Holy Spirit, you're in for the ride of your life, and you're going to have a really meaningful and fulfilling life. It's a promise of God. It's an awesome, awesome promise. So let me just uh, finish this way. Three must-dos. And I'm reading it out of the 
313, if I get my finger on that, and if you want to circle this in your insert, you might find it helpful. Three things that you must do, according to the Apostle Paul. You must forgive. Just circle that. Verse 13, you must forgive. It's not an option if you're a Christian. You must. You must forgive. And then verse 15, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. Circle that. Allow the peace of God to come into your heart. Do not resist God wanting to give you his love and his peace. Allow it. You must do that. If you want to experience this, uh, you must do this. Allow God uh, to be in your heart. And then at the end of verse 15, and always be thankful. Always be thankful. You must. You must always be thankful. If you want to cooperate with the Spirit, be thankful, forgive people, and allow the peace of God into your heart. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that by your power, you transform us. And Lord, as we gather together now and just worship you and sing praises to you, Lord, I just pray that you'd fill our hearts and allow the things that I'm saying to meditate in us. Lord, each one of us needs to change somehow or other, and yet you working in us each personally. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that we'd have ears to hear what it is that you are doing in each one of our lives. And to listen to that and only to that. Not what mothers are saying and friends are saying and even what we ourselves are saying, but what is it that you say? And Lord, give us the ability to allow you in and to allow you to transform. In your name, Jesus, I pray for your people. Amen.